Hi everyone and welcome to the Shopstall Podcast, a podcast woodworkers and the maker community in general. This is episode number 37. My name is Robin Lewis from RobinLewisMakes.com and I'm joined by Jordan Crawford from Periodic Furniture Studio. Oh. We live stream the recording on YouTube every Tuesday evening at 7pm Australian Eastern Standard Time or UTC plus 10 or you can watch or listen to it later on YouTube, iTunes or SoundCloud. I want to say hello to everyone in the chat. We'll get to your comments and questions towards the end of the show but feel free to chat amongst yourselves. The idea being that this is also a place for people to meet. So uh, a quick announcement to start. Um, uh, Joey's again not on the show tonight. Um, we're going to get into that a little bit more in a sec. Um, he's still taking some time off with his daughter, which is fantastic. And um, yeah, we'll elaborate that on that in a second. Family um, duties. Yeah. What was that? Family duties. <laughs> so the biggest announcement though for today, and um, we've been talking about this on in the background for quite a while, is we're going to be bringing the the podcast to an end for a while. So to to put everyone to bring everyone up to speed, we've always had the idea of making this podcast a season or a season a seasonable thing. And our original goal was to go to fifty two episodes, call it a year, bring it to an end, take a break, um, and then have episode two, uh, series season two. Yeah, yeah, and then we move on to season not, two. Yeah. And um, you know, continue. One of the the reasons we wanted to take a break originally was so that we could just, I guess, make sure that we don't get stale in our content. Because I mean, we talk every week, and um, you know, there are times when we feel like we've, we're running out of stuff to talk about. Yeah, and you know, we just need to kind of evaluate what we're doing right and what we can improve on, and then have time to actually implement the changes to do so. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and when we're doing it every week, it's not really something that we can easily implement overnight. So we do need a bit of time to actually do it. And we've got some really cool ideas and we really want to improve on the quality, on the production, on the audio quality, all of that. So, yeah, so we want to just take a little a little break and move forward. The reason why we've had to bring it that this break forward a little bit and, and make it a bit earlier is we've all just hit these, um, I'd say roadblocks in our, in our lives. Um, I've obviously just recently had a, a child. Joey's just had his second, which is why he's not able to make it at the moment. It's just, it's really difficult timing for him, you know, his time of the day over in New Zealand. And um, John's obviously, you might have heard over the last couple of weeks from a business perspective things have been a bit tight and you know he's needing to focus on that so this just seems like the best time to do it yeah and what we still love you we're <laughs> just we're just not going to be here for a few weeks to a couple of months right that's that's the kind of plan at this stage yeah probably probably yeah. a couple months i reckon that'll be good hopefully by that stage we would have dealt with all of our, our demons and sorted out uh, where we want to go with this. And yeah, and then we'll be back and there should be new stuff. So it will just revitalize the whole series. So we're going to do a show this week. We're going to have a break next week. Unfortunately, um, I've got work commitments, which is just another, another thing that's adding to this. So next week we'll give it a miss. And then the week after that will be the final show for the season. We'll bring it to an end. And then, yeah, we all get to take a break on Tuesdays for a couple months. 
mean, who would have known putting a podcast on took time? Jeez. And that's what's so crazy about this is I've, I remember listening to podcasts just thinking, what a cool, what a cool thing just to once a week, just, just some lads get together and we have a bit of a chat, but there's so much that goes on yeah. behind the scene. Yeah. And, and if we're going to improve it, there's going to be even more. So time to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then what, yes. uh, what have you been working on, John? Uh, I have been full on at the Wood Show this week. Um, so last week after the podcast, I had the day off and then I was straight into the Wood Show. So I was the truck driver for the setup a couple of days. So I drove the truck, which was like, I don't know how many pallets. It must have been 35 pallets going mm. into the show and same amount coming out. So it was a fair bit of gear that we lugged over to to the actual last showgrounds and then it was a couple of days of setup and then three full days of doing sharpening demonstrations which has just totally wrecked my throat like yeah. i'm i'm a bit of a quiet recluse uh, in my daily life i don't really talk i don't do much and when i was actually doing eight hour days where it was constant talking it was hard. Like that, that took it out of me. Not, not physically, but just like I'd come home at the end of that show with this aching throat, and just having to like eat an orange just to get a little bit of, of relief. But no, it was a really good show. And I guess you, you uh, also you've got to constantly have your social energy up, which is something. Yeah. You are, uh, not not necessarily you are you aren't, but that takes a lot out of you. And some people are just naturally social people. And some yes, people aren't. Yeah. I, I remember this. Joey and I had this conversation after the the meetup we did in Brisbane. How because you are there and there's an expectation for you to to be social, you can't just go sit in the corner because you, you, no. you know that's not what you're there for. So there's an expectation. So you've got to constantly be at 110 percent. And we were there for what? Two, two, three hours. Yeah, about that. And we were Joey and I would say we were buggered afterwards. Oh, yeah, it it is hard work. Like, I'm not, I wouldn't say it's harder work than any other day. It's just different kind of work. Yeah. And the fact that I'm there representing this company and there's an expectation on us to engage with the customers and let them know what the tools are all about and how to use them and the benefits and the, you know, the, the disadvantage of one method over the other. And, you know, just having to really, I wouldn't say I was baby talking people, but it felt like I had to really assume they knew nothing and a mm. lot of the guys that come to the show are proper pensioners like you know you guys got a day pass out of your retirement home today yeah. sort of crowd that you really this is new school to them they've never seen a compact waterstone that can get a mirror mirror finish mm. in five minutes and when they come up and they say oh it's easier to do it this way you got to actually say, well, maybe, but this is the advantage and this is why you want to do it. And if you don't do that, then the boss around the corner says, try harder. And, you know, yeah. it was not cool. Like, But it was a really fun show for, for us, and I'm sure we'll get into it further. But, um, you know, that I was there for TimberCon, for those that don't know, but uh, Jesse, who does the TimberCon series on their channel, he was actually flown over from Melbourne and he was demoing the CNC machines. Oh, and, cool. and just meeting up with him was really cool because he, like me, uh, started with his own furniture making business and then he eventually turned, you know, said, ah, no, it's too hard, I'll just throw it in and 
go do a normal job. Um, and that's why he's with Timicon now. But it was kind of cool having someone that knew the same struggles that I did mm. at the same show doing the same sort of job and to just like kind of spitball ideas back from him. He was yeah, awesome, dude. His, his energy on the videos that you pick up is exactly who he is. It's mm. not like some of the people you meet where it's, you are not what I was expecting from your videos, yeah. which is probably what people think when they meet me, mm-hmm. but <laughs> to be honest, but yeah, really, really cool uh, show. But okay. as far as making, not yeah. anything. So I saw a pretty cool Instagram photo of a table, coffee table you're working on, Robin. Yeah. So I, I really like that design. It was not what I envisioned, but yeah. I just saw your, your comment before we went live. And um, I'm, I'm really stoked to hear that. So for, for those that don't know, I'm building a, what's called a split level coffee table for clients. Um, I've seen a few of these builds online. Like if you, if you Google split level coffee table, you'll see them. I don't particularly like this design. I just don't think it's, I don't think it's particularly um, aesthetically pleasing is the word. And for all it's worth, functionally, I don't really think it's all that either. But people are doing it. So I got this, this job to make this coffee table. And I drew it up in SketchUp, gave it to the client, and they said, that's great. And I could, <laughs> I could almost feel myself handing it over saying, all right, well, that's it. And they went, oh, that's great. We love that. Let's, let's go with yeah, that. Yeah. And I thought, okay, well, that's it. Start working on it. And um, right now I'm busy gluing up the leg assembly so if you if you're watching on youtube you can see it there behind me in the clamps earlier this week i put out a a picture on on instagram where it was just dry fitted together mostly um and that's the one that jordan's talking about so so you think that's uh you think it, it you don't look at that and think well what's the point no i don't look at it and think what's what's the point it's definitely not a design that i would you know, consider putting in my house because it's just, to me, it's not my style. But when I saw it, it was not what I envisioned, which, and it's a lot better than what I envisioned. Mm. And proportionately, I think it's spot on. Like, I don't think it looks, the top doesn't look too thin and the base doesn't look too tall or it doesn't look too wide. Yeah. And it is a piece that I wouldn't be a, like, I wouldn't be rolling my eyes at having designed that and having to make it for a customer. I would... Okay. it's not my style but i still like it yeah so yeah I'm, I'm really impressed by it and that that split level i really like that you have the full length apron between both legs mm. and then have the step up and i think that's what it is that i like so much about your design is that it is it's a split top with this distinctive kind of change which is it's not just a stair tread it's here's the base and then there's a next level on yeah. top so like to me it's kind of built upon it's interesting that you say that because that was brought about by limitation um, where the, the problem was if you, I think a more traditional split level table, that rail wouldn't run the full length. No, exactly. Um, but the problem with that then is you've got, you'd almost create this pivot point if you ran it just under the bottom section and then another one at the top section where the top and the bottom meet on those little legs you'd essentially create a pivot point. Oh, total weak spot, yeah. Total weak spot. And 
I didn't know how to get around this. All the, all the pictures that I've seen, a lot of them are done with um, different materials. So, you know, steel, acrylic, you know, um, yeah, acrylic, that type of thing. Yeah. I haven't seen it done very much with wood. So I wasn't sure how to get around that. So I just went back to the client and I said, well, you know, it's not, this, is, this might not be what you particularly had in mind, but what do you think about doing this? And yeah. they thought it was rad. So we went with it. I, I like it. To me, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Japanese styling, of the modern Japanese furniture maker's styling. So oh, if you yeah. look at um, uh, blank is the one that comes to mind. Totally different scale, but that sort of styling Okay, and that's I think that's what I think it's really neat. It's, it's modern, but not like contemporary modern, mm. if if that makes sense. But no, I'm I'd be stoked with that. Cool. Yeah, well, I'll it's in that. the it's in the clamps at the moment. Um, I started work on the top and the second top today. Um, and then I've got. How a, are you joining the like the aprons into the legs? Is that mortise and tenon or dowel or? Uh, so it's it's not. What's the opposite of a floating tenon? Traditional mortise and tenon? Is that what it's called? I never know what, I never Just, remember what the yeah, name is. So, so a floating mortise and tenon is where you have two mortises and then a piece of wood between the two. Yeah, yeah, Whereas so it's not that. A mortise and tenon is when the mortise is, oh, sorry, the tenon is a part of one component. Okay. Yeah, so it's a, yeah, so then it's mortise and tenon. It's only a 15 mil tenon, so it's pretty short, but I've... Oh. It's, you reckon that's okay? Not not for that sort of diameter leg. I mean, that what are they? Are they 35, 40 mil? Yeah, 40 Where? by 30, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, that's pretty pretty standard. Mm. But they are super tight. Like, it is... Yeah. That that table is the best joinery I've ever done in my life. I just... You know when you just... You do a... You do like a job like that and you you finish it and you just do a little fist pump because you're like, I, I got that. Yeah. 100% nailed, nailed it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you keep doing it, you'll have to go full Japanese style and start hammering the uh, face of your your um, tenons to get them to fit in. Ah, I never thought of that. Yeah. That's a fancy. Yeah. That's a really good idea, actually, because um, I think there's a fair bit of crushing going on that with that to get them in. Yeah. But I mean, it's obviously not as good as that. So that's that, because I I did a lot of um, hand sanding the tenons to get them to really fit nicely. That probably right. would have worked really well if I just pounded it with a hammer. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's a pretty old school technique, but quite quite traditional. Mm. But yeah, so that's that's in, in clamps. The next thing is going to be how I join those little feet onto the the top and bottom piece. Um, I'm not gonna. We won't go into too much detail this week because a lot of people won't know what I'm talking about, and I still haven't <laughs> entirely fleshed out the idea. But hopefully by the next podcast, it will all be done. The next the next big thing that I've got to think about is how I'm going to finish it. Yes, I really want to do um, a, a polyurethane just because I'm, I know how that works, so I can get I can do that well. But it's going to about a conversion, or not conversion oil, but like a hard burnishing oil or something more close to the wood. Right. So I don't want to do poly because it's going to yellow it, and it's going to look like every single other piece of '90s furniture that you see, which yeah. has gone that golden color. Yeah, exactly. So. So I'm thinking I'll, of water. Oh, I'll, I would say, if it was me anyway, I would say do like a tongue oil, so a, a hard burnishing oil, which is a tongue oil base, so still nice and durable, but it just, you can still feel the wood. And that's, with a coffee table, that's something that I like, the idea of being able to come up to it, 
and you want it's inviting you to rub your hands over it. I like, like that to idea. To me, that's to me that's when you know you've done a really nice finish. Is when you want to touch something. Hmm, that's an interesting way to look at it. So what I've done is I've started putting together samples for the client, um, and on one I've got a piece. Oh, one section I've got a um, the wipe on poly, and then I've also got this, which is an oil, oh, yeah. timber bench of oil. Uh, uh, incorporates natural tongue oil, but but but. So maybe this is what you're talking about, and um, maybe I should give that a go. I hadn't really yeah. thought of it from that perspective of the the touching it. Yeah, I mean that that timber oil. That's a very thin one. If it's the one I've used anyway, it looks like the same can. Mm. Um, so you might have to apply quite a lot of coats. But yeah, if it's a tongue oil, it'll be beautiful. The only thing I'm concerned about though is how I'm gonna. Oh, mind you, no, that shouldn't be too bad. You wouldn't need as... I've, I've, I've sanded all the legs up to 240. That should be enough for it, right? You don't need to go much higher than that. Yeah. I mean, on the top, you would probably go a bit higher mm. just because it's what that's the surface. But on the legs, it would be fine. Um, and with that stuff, like, if you get uh, the wet and, you know, the wet and dry sandpaper, mm. you can actually buff it in using that sandpaper. Ah, so as you apply... Some 600. It's, yeah, because it's quite wet. It's a very loose oil. You can actually use the sandpaper to apply it as you're going. Don't you just end up in with the the sand, the the sawdust particles in the finish, and then that just yeah, not really, because you wipe it off. Like you don't let it soak. You just you wipe it off once you're done. Oh, so you're sanding it in? Well, you yeah, you sand it wet, and then you just wipe it off, and then wipe it off Ah. for any excess. I might give that a go, actually. Uh, Yeah. Still though, that's my concern is it's going to end up yellow. All oils will darken mm. timber to some degree. Um, tongue oil is quite a pale oil, though, so it might. Mm-hmm. You, you might be surprised at how how light it will remain. Yeah, well, this this is not it's not pine, so you're not going to end up with that golden pine orange look. Mm. But it the test piece that I've done, yeah, it's it's made it pretty pretty yeah, yellow right. from this yeah. lovely blonde. Um, grey blonde colour. Yeah, it's yeah. yellowy orange. Well, maybe if if colour is a thing, water based is is the next thing. Yeah. So I'm putting together some samples for the client. They'll decide. Yeah. What they want. All right. Um, yeah. Well, that's that's pretty much me. The topic for this week that I thought we could talk about is just going into some of the details for the um, the Perth show. And we'll take it from yeah. there. I'm really interested just to hear how this went, especially considering we did Mulaney earlier this year. Um, how did it compare? Yeah, I mean, this year is, as a, like most people would be aware anyway, is Carbotec is pulled out of all shows nationally. So this year there was one big exhibitor not present and it was quite obvious at the show. Um, you know, for, for the people that have been to the wood show every year, everyone is basically the same with one or two different stalls in there. So it wasn't exactly a new show by any means, but it was still a really good show. So um, as far as the layout is, you kind of go into this, con- uh, whatever they're called, the um, showgrounds, big, uh, big building you pay to get in and then you walk around and you look at all the exhibits. So pretty standard. Is it, is um, it a lot Is it a lot sharper and more um, corporate than Mulaney was or is it still very down to earth? Like, compared to Mulaney, it is, but it's still very down to earth if you compare it to something like a Wisa. 
So yeah, okay, yeah, it's yeah, definitely targeted towards the the hobbyist uh, crowd and the main demographic you get through the doors there are retirees and pensioners. Mm. Um, you could basically, yeah, it was basically a sea of grey hair every year you go there. And I think that comes down to a lot of their marketing. Like they're relying on radio ads, whereas more modern marketing techniques are obviously relying on social media. Um, but no, it was a really cool show to be. So we had, I, unfortunately, I didn't get to walk around a huge amount because oh, right. I was I was demoing and I'm I'm of the mentality of I'm there to do a job. I'm getting paid to do this job. If I'm not doing that, then what's the point of me being there? Yeah. So I know a lot of the other guys that were volunteering on the stand, you know, took it as an excuse to go see the see the show and half-heartedly uh, sell the products. But for me, it was like, no, I'm going to be here demoing and doing it. And I was the only one that um, had a product that was flying off the shelf. Like I sold out every day and I even started selling back orders for products that were due in three weeks. So what were you actually... So were you there to sell or to demonstrate and what was the, the product? So I was there to just demo and then help with getting sales. Mm. So I was demoing the um, the whetstone grinder that Sherwood makes. So it's a fairly new whetstone grinder, like the Tormac. Okay, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, of, however, yeah. it's like quarter of the price. It's a $300 unit and its quality is way up there. So everyone that has seen my videos know I use the Triton um, mm. whetstone and that's roughly $600 at least on this side of the world. Um, so this is still half the price of that and I honestly can say it's just as good like the the jigs and fixtures that come with it are obviously of a lesser quality, but it does the same job. And the finish is through like phenomenal compared to if I compared that with the the Tormac, which is a thousand dollars, and compared it to the Triton, which is six hundred dollars, the the end product is exactly the same. So, but the stone, the stone, surely that all boils down to the stone. That's right, and the stone is what costs the money. Ah, so, is it? Okay, so the, st the yeah. stone's not like sandpaper. You don't just swap it out every now and then. No, no, exactly. Like the, the stone on a Tormac is almost $400 Jeez. To, to just replace it. And the stones on this, obviously, that's more than the entire cost of the unit. That's and that's crazy. what kind of blew me away. And that's what made it so easy for me to actually sell it is because I believed that this, you can't get better for the money. Yeah, so anyone um, going looking for a whetstone on the day, yeah, there was no it, other option. Yeah, I mean, other than spending something four times the amount. Mm. So I managed to dig out every crappy chisel I could find and bring it down to the show and bought some kitchen knives and all that. And I managed to sharpen <laughs> every chisel and every kitchen knife and every pair of scissors I could find. So, so it was, was basically great. like a, a, a workshop task. Um, yeah, getting paid to sharpen my tools. So that was yeah. kind of cool. With the... So, like, I had quite a few people come up and say, hey... Aren't you, um, aren't you Jordan? I was like, yes. Oh, oh cool. Yeah. Shake your hands. And obviously Martin, so Potts on our uh, Discord channel, yeah. came up and said g'day and we had a really good chat. And uh, a few people I've bumped into throughout the years came up and, you know, we had more chats and it was, yeah, it was really cool. And quite a few people actually uh, said, I oh, love, listen to the Shopstool podcast and love what right. you're doing and blah, blah, blah. So, awesome. Yeah, it was kind of a... I would say it was almost a humbling sort of thing to have people come up, even though it's been such a long time since I put content out, still coming up to say, 
eye and that I recognize you and all that. So. I'm glad to hear that because I was worried, you know, when we mentioned it last week um, that you were going to get a lot of people being, you know, hey, Jordan, I watch your channel. But I didn't think there would be people on the podcast as well coming up. No, I, I wasn't expecting a huge number of, of podcasts other than the, the few that are in the Discord channel. Yeah. So, you know, Martin, Martin etc. And all, and all of that. Um, but yeah, no, it was really, really neat. And even those that I didn't expect to listen to the Shopstool podcast, like uh, you know, old, old fan, like early days of my channel, um, came up and said hello. And I remember meeting him years ago. And then just out of the blue, so yeah, I love what you're doing on the Shopstool podcast. Glad that you're still getting some regular content out there. And yeah, yeah. it was quite a, quite a neat thing. Cool. And what I will say is that that has ins- definitely inspired me to get back into just making videos. So even if I haven't got a build going on, like, you know, I'm a bit quiet right now, it doesn't matter. Just go and make something, do something kind of cool. And the whole experience had kind of left me with this idea that I didn't have before, which is that us as YouTube personalities are actually perfectly suited for that kind of work of being a brand representative. What, as like, in, like, shop, the Shop Store podcast or, or TimberCon, et cetera? Well, as in, like, TimberCon, yeah. et cetera. So, like, you, myself, Joey, or any any YouTuber that has experience basically going into details about what, what you're doing, why you do it, and the benefit of doing it. That's actually kind of what these bigger companies are looking for when it comes to sending people to these wood shows and, and representing the brand. And I didn't even think that about that until this show. Absolutely. Like the the owner of the the Perth branch, he said, "Have you done a lot of this sort of stuff?" I'm like, "No, not really." And then I thought about it and saying, "Well, actually, for the last five years, it's exactly what I've been doing, just on an online kind of talking to the most unresponsive, the most unresponsive crowd in the world, which is the camera exactly. lens." Yeah. So I've had plenty of practice pretending that there's someone that's engaged with me, even if they're not, yeah. and I can just power through it. So mm. yeah, it was a really Really cool. So I think I'm going to keep an ear to the ground for brands which I, I like and just, you know, let put some feelers out there and say, look, this is what I am, this is who I do. And if, if you're looking for someone to represent you at a show in wherever, I'd be happy to come over and do so. And I guess because then you don't need to worry so much about this this uh, YouTube-sponsored video debacle exactly. that we've it's, talked about it's in the past. on an actual... It's on the more old school scale, mm. but something that a lot of these companies are more familiar with. So, yeah, yeah it could work well. I doubt it, anything will come out of it, but it's just something to keep in the back of the mind as a, as a YouTube I, I, guy. I, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's going to be hard to get the first, well, maybe no, maybe that's not entirely correct, but it's going to be hard to get your foot in the door with this because you look at, um, I've forgotten your, the, the Timicon mate that you were talking about earlier who does the videos. Oh, Sherwood. Uh, Jesse. Jesse. You look at what Jesse does, right? Timbercon have said, we need someone doing videos. Um, we're going to put someone on. Think of all the other brands. They need to get someone doing the same thing. We are the, we are the perfect people for that because exactly. they cannot employ anyone with more experience. Well, okay, that's a bit of a stretch, but we well. have a very good <laughs> resume in that regard. We, especially for being the brand representative. So... Yeah, perfect idea for it. Mm. And, you know, with the contacts that I'm making now, is it, it's more possible. So, mm. example, at the Wood Show, 
I lent my trolley jack, which I bought from my workshop, to the guys at Laguna Tools because they didn't mm. bring anything with them. And then through that, we got chatting, and then it's like, well, all right, Laguna Tools, I love, I love your machinery. I've, I've used it in TAFE, and you know, we got chatting, and now they're aware of me. Yeah, not probably nothing will come out of it because he's the rep, and unless he wants to leave, <laughs> but still, <laughs> doesn't matter. It, That's networking one hundred and one. Exactly. Yeah. It's funny, you were talking about you're going to put out videos because, you know, that's what we do. Um, some of you might have seen my last video, which was sharpening a how I sharpen my chisels. <laughs> that right? was good timing going in to do a sharpening uh, <laughs> week. I'm like, who was? I think it was actually Martin then Potts asked me, so what do you think about Robin's latest video? And I'm like, ah, <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> so that was a, I woke up one morning, I'd watched a, a Stumpy Nubs video about three days before. I woke up in the morning and I saw a um, crafted workshop, Johnny Brooks video. And I thought that's two videos in a row on stones. I'm gonna make a video about what I did. And it was just a real spur of the moment. I literally filmed and edited out in one day. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's not a hugely performing video, but the conversation around it has actually been pretty good. And it yeah. sort of goes with what you're saying you don't need to be making a Rubo workbench every single time. Sometimes, sometimes it's just got to be a very good idea, but sometimes you've just got to throw it out, throw it at the wall and whatever sticks, sticks. And sometimes, like in my opinion, with the sharpening video, there was a really good conversation around it. So something as simple as that, but I just made a video. I thought I'm just going to make a video. Yeah. And off you went. And I think, I think it's, that thing that, especially for my kind of personality anyway, and I, I'm pretty sure you're the same, but I'm really into the inner workings of everything. Mm. So if I can do a video on discovery of, you know, this is what the method is, this is why I'm doing it, and here's the reasoning behind it, and that's the sort of stuff I find really interesting, mm. then why don't I do that? You don't need to have a finished project at the end of it. As long as it's something that you're passionate about, can engage with, then it's a recipe for... A video. Yeah, points in case, river tables. Yeah. People just want yeah. to see epoxy being poured. That's yeah. That's what that's what it's all about. So yeah. But no, it's been uh, been fun. So with the with the the demographics and the you know, demographic and the crowd that was at the show. Um, yes. one thing I remember very vividly about Mulaney was it was very much the previous generation. It was very few of our generation and younger. Same thing at Perth. Yeah. Mulaney looked like a young person's convention in comparison right. to Perth. Like Mulaney, yeah, it was a lot of seniors, but there was also a lot of families. Yeah, oh, Perth just, it's, was, I find it so weird. Like other than the Sunday, Sunday, the last day before the football came on, there was a there was a derby over here, so everyone left about two o'clock. Oh yeah, and anyone who watches but, football knows about that game. Yeah, sure, it's every, been yes, all over yeah. the news. <laughs> But um, you, you Sunday some was a younger crowd. Yeah, we're, we, we're bred pretty bogan over <laughs> on this side, apparently, if you trust the footy teams that we have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's a bit off topic. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> but no, um, crowd-wise, the Friday, you, you would be lucky to see one person under the age of 70. Um, Saturday and Sunday, obviously there was more like more of a mixed crowd with people that have jobs being able to get out. But yeah, I was blown away that how many old people came to this show. And I mean, not like 
early retirees, but late retirees. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Interesting. All right. Um, it's, it's something that you would go to as a ticket holder? You'd buy a ticket and go to it? I mean, is it, or maybe a better question is, is there anything that they could have done to really improve the show? Yeah, I mean, I'm... From an organizational thing, I there is a lot they can do, and you know we won't, we won't get into that because it's not what interests people. But as someone with events experience, I was actually gobsmacked at how useless they were at getting this thing put right. together. But as far as the running of, I would like to see them because they do. This is a mixed show, so on one side of the pavilion is the wood show, and the other is the craft show. So one is ah. for the wives and the old ladies that like crochet, That's and one pretty is clever, for the, actually. the men in the shed. And I think it's a really good idea to to run the two. But the entire show, they have one canteen which is serving just crap, you know, standard like pies and sausage rolls and and fried chips. That's all they have serving the entire pavilion. So if you wanted to go there and make a day of it, you're left to spend 25 bucks on a bit of deep-fried crap. And for any celiacs uh, out there. And, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I obviously had to bring food in. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, they would sit on these crappy plastic chairs in a corner, which is like they've been forgotten. And even though right outside the pavilion they've got this massive alley where they could put food trucks, have chairs, gazebos, mm. maybe some live music. Like, you know, like Mulaney had the stage in the, in the center of the, which is the one we performed on. But all throughout the day, they had various artists performing live music. And then yeah. you'd walk out and there was food. Like, there was none of that at this show. Mm. And it's a perfect opportunity. I mean, they had a coffee van, but that was not, that was it. So it's not a very inviting event to go and make a day of just because you're either walking around looking at the stalls, which you can do in 20 minutes, like, mm. like in, in all honesty. There's nothing that that intriguing there. There's some cool stuff, don't get me wrong, but it's not something that will take you the entire day to walk around. So mm. why not introduce something that makes it a little bit more comfortable? And So if you, the Adelaide uh, Maker Fair, so yeah. you've obviously seen Maker Fairs on, on YouTube, they were very good for that. Because the whole maker scene, while it's similar in many regards, it's completely different to woodworking. Um, everything at the maker scene, from the chairs people were sitting on to the exhibits, everything was, everything was, was trying to be cool. So yeah. you didn't have that, we're gonna go sit in, a, in a, you know, um, some lawn chairs to have our lunch. Everything made you feel special with what you, everything that you engaged with felt nice. Yeah, yeah. But I guess with, with the woodworking, there's this, this traditional old man approach to it. So you don't need to do that. And, uh, and obviously that, that's, there's no disrespect meant by that, but that's just what, the, this, what it's traditionally been. So you yeah. really want something like that show to, um, I think about, Dressed did a video where he was one of his, he made a bar while he was at the show. They need yeah, to incorporate yeah. like that sort of mentality about, as you say, the food stalls. That's, and that, that actual, your example of the director thing is something that I came up for with um, Timbercon because they were demoing hand tools on one side of the, of the tent. And I just said, why, you got three days, you could make something. Mm. Why don't you try to do like a dovetail, 
box or maybe make a bench or something instead of working on a bench with your hand tools and just taking three strips three passes with a plane you should be doing something a little bit more you know engaging to have people really drawn in and get engaged i mean yeah it probably won't convert to many sales but it will convert to the having a better experience at the show yeah i mean i remember Melanie, there were guys making those do you remember it was on the we got there it was in the morning we walked up the road and into that sort of like warehouse and there were guys yeah. making chairs yeah yeah the green woodworkers yeah they oh is there. that what that was i didn't even pick yeah. it up that was that was pretty cool so that's the type of thing that you could be doing with the tools that you're, you're showcasing yeah and um, and I will admit that we had uh, like in the middle of the the actual pavilion there was a guy doing woodworking workshops for kids and all that. So there was a little bit of that there. Mm. It's just the thinking of the stall holders weren't along that line. Mm. Um, but uh, you know, and and I might be coming across as slightly cynical or, or negative on the show. And I'll say that if I if this was my first show. I'd be, re- I'd leave there really impressed. But because I've been to the show every year for the last five years, nothing's changed with it. Like I would really like to see a bit more coming through as far as the the speakers that come on the stage and they're talking about spindle turning. Well, why don't you have someone also talking about the online community, which mm. is a big part of the the woodworking community right now? We're talking about you know, something a little bit more modern about the CNC age because really yeah. that's what all the school kids are going to be getting taught if they want to go into this handy man, not so much the TER or whatever it's called now, but the ATAR scores. They're the ones that are going to become the, the CNC machinists of the future. Yeah. So why not have try and get some more of that involved in the show? Yeah. And I think that that would be... Probably not like huge crowds around it, but they do have the school groups come through on the Friday, and that's more realistic as to yeah, this is probably more like what you're going to be getting into. Let's talk about the the you know the future, but there's not much of that future um, future prospect at the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably it's probably a good time to with that in mind to plug a show that I'm going to be at later this. This year in October, it's uh, Wood Dust. There's um, there's some international speakers there. I'm going to be doing a talk. It's October the 17th. That's the Wednesday all the way through to the Sunday. I'm going to be there on Friday and Saturday. Dirk from Sumo's Projects, he's going to be there. Uh, him and I had a bit of a chat this week. There's a couple of other woodworking Instagram YouTubers that are going to be coming down. This this woodworking show. From everything that the organizer has talked about, I can't wait for because his whole vibe is to to bring in that younger crowd and bring in that 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 modern edge to it, you know, to get away from the stigma. Mm. Yeah, I'd love to come down for that one. That sounds like the best wood show there could be in Australia. Well, the, at least from my perspective, which is I like this online community and the younger approach to everything, not the the behemoth way. So I'll. The 17th, you say, that's my birthday. Maybe I'll have a holiday <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, well, really, the idea is I want to get as many woodworkers, YouTube woodworkers out to it. It's in, it's near Canberra, so it's pretty central it's to Queen everyone. Queen Bean, right? Sorry? Is that right? Queen Bean? Queen Bean? So, uh, 
Oh man, there's another name with a B that um, it's sort of in, it's in a couple of places all in the area. Um, yeah. But there's another, anyway, Canberra is the closest one it's been to. I don't know any, I've never been to that part of the world, so I don't <laughs> know anything. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's near Canberra. So Dirk's literally just jumped on now. Is there a potential meetup for the, the, uh, for the, the expo? Absolutely. Um, we'll, I think what we might do is try and organize something. I need to contact the organizer for it. It might not necessarily be something official, but on the Friday evening, they are having like, they have a, a meetup with everyone, if I'm not mistaken, for the show. Um, so you buy a ticket, you can meet everyone on the Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night. So what we'd probably do is just jump in on the, on the Friday night and, you know, we can, we can all go say hello to each other. In, in person for a change. There we go. Bungendor, I think is how you say it. Bungendor. Yep. Yeah. So I've driven through there. Oh, Good right. place. Good place. Cool. All right. So anything else about Perth Woodshow that you want to... It's WA Woodshow, I should be saying. WA Woodshow. Yeah. Uh, no, well, no, I mean, I just want to say thanks to everyone that did come up and say g'day because, yeah, it was quite... It's inspired me to get back out there and making just for the sake of being a maker, not worry about having work on necessarily. Mm. So. Cool. Yeah. Good stuff. So I got a, a message on the Discord server from our old friend Martin, who was interested in doing a um, uh, us talking about sharpening tools. And mm. I sort of said to him, you know, that it's a topic we've sort of talked about before. Um, it might not be an entire episode, but I did say we'd talk about it. And I guess having, I didn't, you know, I didn't realize you were going to be there sharpening. I didn't realize that was your <laughs> thing. So I guess now it even makes even more sense to talk about it. It does, yeah. Um, what's your view? So did, did you watch my video that I put out? I did, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I watched it. Yeah. What's, what's your view on that? Do you think that that's a very Neanderthal, and, and be, be honest, because I'm, I'm pretty sure it is. Is that a very Neanderthal way of doing it? Yeah, oh, Yes, but no, it's, it's, I agree with most of your methods. I personally don't like the idea of running any knifed edge on a sanding belt because if it does catch, that to me just spells disaster of slippage and, and binding. Wait, um, sorry, knives can, can't they catch on a stone as well? Yeah, but that's under your power. What do you mean? How, Not, what, I don't understand, what's the difference? Oh, you mean on a grinding stone? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, sorry, no. sorry. On a grinding stone, yeah, yeah. Said. Um, yeah, they can totally. And to but. me, the grind, to me, the concept of a grinding stone is the scariest thing. When I'm using the belt sander, the 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 the, the belt is running away from the edge, right? When you put it on a grinder, the 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 stone's running into the edge. I mean, the, to me, that just is... says it's going to explode. No, I mean the reasoning for running the stone into the edge is that you're going to work hard on that edge, so you get a longer tool life for one, mm -hmm. and you're not going to have as much of a bevel uh, of a burr. Like you want to push that burr into the tool. Oh, I, not I'm not. I'm not. not I'm not saying it's. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just to me, I I can only imagine that stone hooking into the the chisel, and that chisel flies out towards you. Yeah, oh, I mean you're right, but the thing is that if you're Doing it freehand, that's a risk. But if you're doing it jigged or on a tool holder, it's pretty damn mm. unlikely of that happening because it's light pressure for one and you're also braiding away to match the profile of that wheel. So mm. it's going to ride on the surface of that. Still always a risk, yes. Yep. And that's why you always want to wear eye protection and, and not just jam a tool in there, do it slow and controlled. 
But no, your method, I think the way that you're, you're finishing your method is way up there. The way, so as in you're using your bench to kind of strop it, I definitely would say just get an off-cut of MDF and charge it with some compound because mm. you will make a big difference. But you do need to also think about flattening the back with a with some sort of method. So whether that be on a like on a diamond stone or something, just so you keep a flat back, mm. that will get you better results. Um, was it was it you that commented on the video about? As soon as they started flattening the back, it was the game changer. Was that was that your comment, or was no, it someone else? That wasn't, someone else no, then must I have don't said. I don't think I commented. They, they, it was something along the lines of um, someone taught me to flatten the back of the, the the blade, and when I did that, my eyes were open. You know, like th that's what yeah. really made my blade sharp. Yeah, and that is exactly why I say that is because if you're not flattening that back, then you're relying on a it's machined, but not exactly an accurately machined surface to give you that straight edge. Mm. Um, if I, like, the method of going from the belt sander onto the wet and dry paper and then onto honing with your bench, it seems like a lot of steps to me. Yeah. Um, I And I also would not worry about going onto a 36 grit and then a 120. I'd just only ever go 120 grit because already yeah. 120 grit is super aggressive for steel like you're you're you should be re removing a couple of thou of material not millimeters of material when you're sharpening and in, in that in in the video's case the 36 was to get the was to just the the entire edge was stuffed so it was just to bring it back right. do you think i should still be doing that with a 120 i, I would still do that with 120 right okay um, like the, the, the stones that I use, my whetstone, that's 250 grit. And that's where and I do. And I start on that. Uh, if you're looking at like a white oxide wheel, which is the old school bench kind, is there 60 grit to, and 120 grit usually. Right. So, yeah, 36 is probably a bit, bit harsh in my opinion. Mm. But as far as that question of how sharp is sharp, sharp enough, it depends. What are you doing? Well, there was a video talking about Stumpy Nubs earlier. He put out a, a follow-up video talking about how the the knife and sharpening, we'll call it the sharpening community, is so aggressive. Yeah. Whereas if you go back to the, you know, 100 years when people were making beautiful fine furniture that we're all in a way trying to emulate, you know, those traditional skills. Mm -hmm. He was talking about the stones that they would use, they would use in America. Ah, what was it? Uh, started with an A, and I think it was an Arkansas stone. Anyway, yeah. he said the, the grit of that stone would roughly translate to about four, four 450 grit. And that's, yeah. that's where that stopped. Yeah, and like, if you look at any old school boy, of sharpening they always have a strop of some description whether it be their jeans or their hand they always strop that to remove that burr but in order to get the burr you have to have a reliable sharpening technique to get there but they don't like it you know in my video i can't remember i i, I think i might have said this in the video but i can't remember at the 600 good points i can shave my my hairs the, oh, the yeah. blades there yeah. already in the video i went up to 1200 but you probably don't need to um, um, but I always polish off up to 10,000 always, but, it, but that's because I'm using a diamond compound on a, on a wheel. Yeah. Um, 
you don't need to by any means. So depending on what you're sharpening, so for a good example is scissors, you're actually relying on a burr to do your cutting. So you want a oh, burr right. or if you're using uh, lathe tools, for example, a scraping tool on the lathe, you're wanting a burr because that's what's doing the cutting. Mm. But if you're doing something like carving work, you're wanting to be a perfectly razor-sharp edge and any of the little imperfections, those little micro nicks that you can't see but you can kind of feel as drag when you do shave your head, uh, your, your head, your, your arms. <laughs> you miss the wood if you're onto your head. <laughs> if you're, when you are like shaving the hairs, like that, that will be a big game changer if you're feeling it. But if it's just chopping a mortise with a, a hammer... Mm. You don't need that much perfection. Yeah, well, I must say um, I had that, that um, epiphany today. I sh- sharpened up my plane iron today. Yeah. And it's because I was, um, I'm, I'm terrified of like that coffee table. You know, I see you guys on a, on a tabletop with their plane. I am so scared of doing that because of tear out, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, yeah, you never get... Never get not scared of tear out, don't worry. Yeah, and I just see these guys just shoop, 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 and I think, whoa, like, you know, anyway. For that reason, I would want my plane to be, you know, 100,000 grit sharp. Yeah. But as you say, with your chisels, where you're just smashing it into the wood, if you go up to 10,000 grit and then hit it into the wood, that edge is gone in the yeah, first hit. Yeah, exactly right. And depending on also your angle, like if you're chopping with the chisel, you want that to be, you know, 30 degrees, even steeper maybe. But if you're doing pairing action on end grain, 25 degrees is perfect. So there's so much that goes into how that bevel or the the tip is going to behave. And I think I might actually do a sharpening video, being that I've just done three days of it uh, at a show and then, you know, there's this topic and you've done it, I might do one and saying that this is the technique that I'm using and it could be cool to compare. Yeah. But when I'm, I would be interested because I've never used your method, obviously, um, and right off the bat, I would say the results would be up there with a flat grind. But if you took one of those chisels that you did sharpen and you ran your your fingernail really lightly across the edge, not not your finger but your nail... <laughs> Would you feel, this is an old school way that I was taught to see if it's sharp, if it is con, con, constant and smooth across the entire not thing, serrated. then you're razor sharp. But if you feel any little jaggedy bits, then you're not razor sharp. I'd be interested to see how your method pulls up on mm. that test. So today with the, the plain iron, I checked that um, just because, I don't know, I was trying to see how sharp the... The blade was against my skin as opposed to you know shaving and Mm. it was i was surprised at how solid that blade was like how you know um consistent that blade was and the reason i was checking that is i got a new router but not too long ago i i I bought a cheap set you know years ago and then i bought one good bit and i remember when i bought that bit and i felt the edge i was like this doesn't this doesn't even feel sharp it's just like it's just, a, it, to me, it felt like a smooth edge when I ran my finger along. But that's mm. what you're talking about, where it's that perfectly fine edge, um, yeah. there's, but there's no burrs on it at all. That's right. And, I mean, also, I mean, there's, this is an entirely different topic again, but carbide, like around a bit of carbide. This one was carbide. Car- yeah. Carbide cannot and will not ever be as sharp as high-speed steel, and that's what our, most of our tools are. Mm. And that's because of the brutal nature of carbide. So when it comes to sharpening carbide, if you sharpen that thing to have a razor edge, you're actually 
um, what's the word? You, you're going to make that tool tool's life way less because you're going to actually chip it. Mm. So when engineers are, are working with carbide, they're doing specific rake angles and specific grinds to give you the maximum life with optimum results, not necessarily best results because yeah. best results, yeah, you might get five cuts out of it, but then that bit's shot. Mm. And, and like you look at sharpening carbide as well, you're not going to sharpen the profile. You're going to sharpen, you're going to lap that flat face and just bring that in to be a little bit skinnier. Mm. You're not gonna you're not gonna try and file the bevel angle. You're just gonna flatten that back a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Speaking of of uh, carbide, you remember when I we did a, a couple of weeks ago, we did an episode where I talked about why would you need so many? Why would the the knives come in boxes of for my thicknesser come in boxes of thirty instead of, or sorry, come in boxes of of ten? So I end up with thirty knives for my twenty five head. I don't know if you remember that conversation. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. I remember. I went through a nail this week so now i know now i know why did you uh did it chatter, shatter or did it chip well I, I haven't actually changed the blade but that oh. nail was cut clean you yeah. could have seen yourself in the mirror on that nail so there i, I can only hope that it was an old nail because it was that yeah, was what, soft yeah so what they used in this this bed frame i think it might have been soft so it went through it but subsequent boards i've seen there's now a that groove yeah it's pretty wide as well so you've probably lost that tooth that that entire insert you reckon yeah yeah if it's wide, is it like a centimeter wide it, it was probably about five centimeters wide so i'm not quite sure what's Ooh. going on unless i've run the board through a couple of times and i've nicked it a couple of times <laughs> which would be even worse but mind you the segments on your cutter head aren't that close together so it could just be that you've shattered one tooth a one insert. Mm. It's, it's not like um, a helical. It's just a segmented, right? Yeah, segmented. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it could be. But yeah, I definitely have a look. Though. Yeah, I need to open <laughs> it up and and have a look inside and see what's going on. Um, but yeah, well, I'd I'd be super keen to see how you do the sharpening because I'm guessing you don't use the stones like I still use stones. Oh, uh, well, the hand stones, as in water water stones and stuff, right? No, the the uh, diamond stones, the ones that you put in the jig and you run it back and forth uh yeah i still use wet stones anyway so the older equivalent of diamond stones in the process but not rely on them so i use those for touch-up work more than establishing work because Mm. i like a hollow grind and uh, you know I'll, i'll do a video and i'll go into my reasoning and kind of the techniques and why i like the method it's slower that's the one thing i will say is that it is slow but you get a good edge Cool. Yeah. All right. So, what have you been watching? Anything interesting? If not, I have a very, very cool video to talk about, and I wouldn't be surprised if you're going to talk about it as well. I haven't really watched anything this week because I have been getting home from this. Oh, yeah, of course. Full full work, and I have just crashed. So, uh, other than watching your video before I got to the show, that was it. So Chris, Chris Salamone, Chris Salamone. Oh yeah, uh, Four Eyes guy. Yeah, yeah. that guy. Yeah, Chris Salamone. He put out a video as if, as if he had listened to our podcast, which I don't think he has, but um, talking about the river tables, and yeah. he perfectly summarised why he doesn't like the idea of the, the river tables along the lines of, while they are 
they are cool. They're also very creatively limiting because mm. people just go, ah, river table, got to make river table. And we've seen it all a million times. So there's nothing. He then goes on in the show later or on the video to talk about how he sometimes struggles with creativity and, you know, that ties in together. Mm. So the table that he was doing was making, he was making a river table out of concrete and Lego. Oh, I did see the thumbnail for that. And I thought, damn it, he beat me because... <laughs> I, I spoke when we were talking about the river ta- tables, but I have this idea, but I don't haven't been able to get to it. Yep. And mine was instead of resin, using cement and having it like half and half. Ah, uh, yeah, so that's right. I remember half the table would be wood and the other half would be cement. But mm. he kind of beat me to the punch. So he made a a very angular river out of Lego blocks. He then put that upside down in a mold. He then poured in place the concrete lifted it up and there on the concrete or running through the concrete where it was this Lego river. And I mean, it's a good idea. So cool. Especially considering cement is pretty stable and doesn't move and Lego won't move. Yep. Unlike, unlike wood, which is going to expand and kind of separate over time. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I, I haven't watched the video yet, but I have it in my watch later. The, Icon list. Yeah, no. So it's, it's, it's very cool. Very cool idea. Um, the video is in his typical style. It's amazing. He, the one thing that I love with his videos is he tells the story around it and he does it mm. really, really well. Um, I don't know if it's just, I don't know if it's just his, uh, the content of the way he story tells or the, his, his, his vocal dynamics, but it's just so engaging. It's so engaging for such a simple, like his videos are nothing different. No, no. They're just very simple pace. Yeah. It just executed so well. I, I will say that with him, every video he puts out is always like phenomenal production quality. Mm. But sometimes I find, and probably just because I'm, you know, one of these millennials that like to click through things really quickly. But I do find that it can be sped up in certain aspects of it. Mm, yeah. But I I don't know if that's because I've like my my kind of viewing styles changed because I remember like earlier on when he was making videos, I would sit there and watch the entire thing. So I think it's probably mm. me um, more than anything. But I do like I love his stuff, except for when people accuse me of stealing his designs. When it's my design from five years before he did his first design, <laughs> and he asked me if he can use it. <laughs> Talk, talking about that, so I just um, this week, just out of the blue, I, I put out a video a couple months ago of when my workshop flooded. I try to fix the problem by running a, a drainage pipe um, out oh, to yeah, a in my bottom of my yard. For some reason, um, YouTube the algorithms picked this up, and it's just gone gangbusters this video. I think it's because I added tags to it. So if you're a YouTuber, look into adding tags onto your videos. Have you not been using tags? Ah, uh, sorry, sorry. Hashtags. I added hashtags oh, to God. it. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, no, Robin, Robin, Robin. So I added um, hashtags to it and, I th- and ever since then it's just, it's, it's done really well. So is that in the tags section? So instead of like tagging it as making a bar, you go hashtag make at the bottom of the but, description. 
you, yeah. the, what, and I don't know if it has to be at the bottom, but what most people do is on the last line of the description, hashtag whatever space, oh. hashtag whatever, and then right. you'll, you'll, pro you'll see it straight away. It, it comes up just above the title of the video. It's got the hashtag there. I had no idea about that. Now, presumably that means you can search on hashtags, which I, I don't think people would be doing, but I think more than that, if you get onto the trending page above the title or say number whatever on trending, so then they introduce this hashtag thing and people would see hashtag, but, and, and I think subconsciously that makes you look at the video and go, oh, this is a, this is a, a, a popular video. Mm. And that's why it's working. That's my interpretation of it. I don't know if that's necessarily correct. Anyway. Yeah, that's a good heads up. I didn't even know you could do that. Nice. Yeah, oh, it's, only, it's only been out for a couple months, I think. So it's still yeah. fairly new. Jump on the bandwagon. And um, as one video said, get your hashtag, hashtag periodic furniture studio in there it's before someone yeah, else yeah. does. Um, yeah. So I'm onto it. anyway, so this, this video has just suddenly done well out of the blue. I've just had... That just the the worst people just crawl out of the the gutters and comment on my video. <laughs> it's one of those it's one of those videos where I haven't necessarily done done it the way most people would, and because it's building and building is all around code, a lot of people are saying it's wrong. Yeah. But just just mean people, mean mean people. Every morning I just wake up to. Cancel, cancel. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not any of those words. No, I wouldn't like you to do that to my mother. Like, just awful. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, people are just disgusting online. It's terrible. <laughs> On, so this, this Sunday, Combi did my, um, that half marathon, which mm. I'll just quickly sneak in that I did well and I completed it and I'm totally stoked that I did it. So, And um, before the run, I got this message and I was just like, just ignore it. Ignore it. <laughs> Hold on, Jamie. I'm coming in a couple minutes. Tap, 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 tap. Now I'm going for a run. And I, and I'm, and I left in such a foul mood, which I was so annoyed about. But it's just a stupid comments yeah. just ate away at me. I don't think people, I think people forget well, how those comments actually get to you. Well, people don't realize that the, the person on the receiving end of your keyboard warrior comment is a person yeah. with feelings. <laughs> like, yeah. That's wrong, isn't it? Anyway, I think I've had pretty good luck. Um, I know some people just get like personal Eaten. filth where yeah. that's just awful. You know, these people are just saying that I'm a moron for what I've done. That's fine. But yeah. they're not attacking, you know, my I think personal. Most, most of my hate, hateful or hurtful uh, comments I can always laugh at because they're just, you know, st stupid people and I can put that to it. But there is always this one comment which comes up about uh and and i will try not to swear because it always swears but it's like oh you bloody kangaroo bl expletive right. sucking expletive <laughs> you don't know what you're doing bloody go have another <laughs> like, that, really that's the worst but i read it and i'm like this is taking creativity to come up with this sort of statement so i applaud you for that effort but delete <laughs> yeah someone put effort into that yeah yeah all right, cool. Okay, well, that's pretty much the show. Um, I just want to make the announcement again in case anyone didn't catch the beginning. Um, we are bringing the Shopsal Podcast Season 1 to an end. We're going to do a show not next week, the week after, and that'll be the final show, and then we're going to take a, a, a couple-month break, and then we'll be back. Um, 
So yeah, next, not next week, the week after that's gonna be the final show. We really hope to see everyone there. Um, I'm not quite sure what we're gonna talk about, but I think we might do a revision of what we've talked about over the last 38 yeah. episodes. Yeah, and uh, probably find out what Joey's been up to. <laughs> yeah, so we, Joey's really struggling with this time slot, so hopefully we'll be able to get him in. Um, if not, you know, we'll, we'll do our best. We might even pre-record it or something. But yeah, yeah, hopefully we'll get him in for the last one. Cool. All right, everyone. Well, thanks to everyone in the chat. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show. John, anything you want to add before we leave? No, just uh, keep on making stuff. Keep on making. Woo. Cool. All right, everyone. Thanks again, and we'll see you again. Not next Tuesday, Tuesday after that at 7 p.m. Bye.